Describing the struggle to believe God to the point of obedience, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. Believing God is actually a little easier than believing He rewards those that come to Him. Believing that there's actually a blessed path following God. I think most people, if you talk to them, would say they believe in God. Most people would probably even say they believe in the God of the Bible. But many of those people have never surrendered their life to the God of the Bible. So they have this intellectual understanding of God as it's been explained, but they haven't come to Him to surrender their life. They haven't come to Him for the blessed benefit of obedience. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Why do we do what we do? Isn't it because we believe it will benefit us in some way? Then why are so many reticent to do this when it comes to believing God? We'll explore this and more on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Shouldn't we readily obey God above all else? Enoch did. Here to help us learn from his example of faith from Hebrews 11, verse 6, is Pastor Ed. He pleased God. I was reminded of that other time in the scriptures where another person pleased God. Remember, Jesus was in the waters being baptized and the Father spoke from heaven and what did he say? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God in human flesh. And how did he live his life? Jesus summarized his life this way. He said this, I always do that which pleases the Father. (laughs) I love that. I live to do the will of my Father. And it's such a freeing way. Many people, they they describe walking with God as so restrictive and so heavy and so burdensome. No, it's the only way to please God. It's actually the place of great freedom to surrender. Consider these scriptures on the phrase walk with God. You ready? You can just jot them down. I'll read them to you. It's a part of your new vocabulary. And it covers so many aspects of your life. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. So we have a new direction of life and it's going to affect how we walk. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also loved us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk. So there is a distinction of those that are walking the pattern following God and those that aren't. And Paul says, I want you to notice the ones that aren't. Mark them. Because you have us as a pattern. For many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enoch has something to say to us today, his testimony. The testimony he obtained is that you can live in the most wicked of days and still live in hope, trusting God. You're surrounded with people that mock you, make fun of you. You know, the whole course, as Paul would write to the Ephesians, the whole course of this world is distributed and communicated through the education system and through the media. 
That's the, the world controls those things. Educating and teaching a new generation and then communicating constantly through, through the media, through, through movies, through TV, through the news, through, through whatever's going on, the new hip thing on YouTube or all of the media is the stream of communication. That's one of the motivations that we had when, when we had the opportunity to purchase Grace FM because you know the Bible describes the devil as the prince of the power of the air. And I believe that he's taken full advantage of taking control of the power of the air and communicating a message that undermines faith. Now, I am sure there is someone, at least one person in here, that has actually this week felt foolish because of your belief in Jesus Christ. Like something you watched or someone talked to you about, something you read and said, you know what, that, that's just dumb that you believe in God. Why would you believe in God? And just for a moment, you're like, yeah. Why would I believe in God? We have so much advanced technology now. We have so much advanced knowledge now. We have so, we're so far ahead now. And that was for them then, and it's not for us now. And you just have this spiritual battle in your mind of believing the simplicity that Jesus Christ came to die for your sins. Because as advanced as technology gets, as advanced, the message of the media is that this is all there is. So live it up now. This is all you have. We're going to control you that thought pattern in your life from the moment you come out of the womb until the moment you leave. And it's all about now. Like the familiar philosophy that's not new. It's actually very common in many generations. Let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. And this is all there is. But we're reminded every time we open the Bible, this is not all there is. <laughs> this is not heaven. You guys, gang, you're not in heaven yet. Aren't you glad about that? This is not heaven. This is earth. It's the proving ground and the training ground preparing us for eternity. And so here we are, surrounded, message after message after message after message that believing in God is foolish, that it's unwise. As we jumped into the book of Hebrews, we were reminded there are those that say, oh, you have blind faith. If you really investigated that, if you really thought, you know, you're just part of a church, they just want to think for you, they're going to brainwash you, on and on and on and on you hear so much so that you have no longer share your faith with people because you're tired of being made fun of and you're tired of being mocked and you feel like the culture is winning and you feel like you're never going to win. Listen, the culture is changed by one man being born again and then two and then three. That's how God changes culture. God changes culture by seeing a person get saved and that person then goes home and shares the gospel with his family. And then he raises a godly generation. And then from generation to generation, the gospel message is passed down. From grandpa to grandson and from dad to daughter, it's passed down through life, through the believers of God in and around the world. I know sometimes you kind of pray, Lord, I just don't want to live in this culture anymore. I'm tired of it. It seems like evil's prevailing. It seems like evil's winning. And look what they're doing and look how they're degrading you. And I just want to remind you, what do you expect from a godless culture? A God-hating culture. A culture that doesn't want anything to do with God. Doesn't want anything to do with his ways. And Enoch, in a society very similar to yours and mine, lived a life that pleased God. Because not only are there those that have had doubts about their faith this week, but there are also those that think, I don't think I'm going to make it. I just don't think I'm going to make it. All this stuff that I see and hear and watch is vexing my soul. It's an old King James phrase. Vexing my soul. All day, every day. And I don't just, I don't think I'm going to make it. 
But Enoch's testimony is a reminder that you will make it as you choose to place your faith in God and trust him as he leads you and guides you. So what does a walk of faith look like? Let me show you. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. I love this. Titus chapter 2. You and I, we're all related to God by faith, in grace. Like it's the gracious goodness of God that draws us in. And so the doctrine of grace is very important to us here at Calvary. However, there are those that when they emphasize grace, they love to emphasize freedom, freedom, freedom. Just go ahead and do whatever you want. Just make all the choices and along the way God will show you. Just, it's freedom. Freedom to do what you want is kind of like our culture's message because grace actually teaches us. The grace of God, our overwhelming appreciation for God's love actually teaches us. And I want you to see what grace teaches because it's not necessarily the emphasis upon freedom to do what you want, but it's actually the grace of God teaches a freedom to not go into areas that will destroy you. You now have freedom. Listen, like some would emphasize whether it's freedom to sin and we'll just figure out when they sin, when they, but no, you actually, the grace of God is actually freedom. Listen, not to sin. You actually are empowered now to live a life that pleases God. That's the power of God's grace. Listen to what Paul writes to young Titus here in chapter two. Pick up in verse, verse 11, Titus two. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us, so mark these things, the grace of God's appeared, and this is what it teaches us, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. The grace of God has something to teach us on how to live life in a way that pleases God. Holy living, set apart. It's in this present age. So every age since the scriptures were written, this is an applicable truth. The grace of God says, look, the way to live and walk with God is to walk soberly, to stay clear-headed. The way to walk with God is to deny ungodliness, to say no to it and worldly lusts. The way to walk with God is to look for the soon return of Jesus Christ. The way to walk with God, verse 14, is to know that you've been redeemed, you've been saved from every lawless deed, that you've been saved to walk in purity, that God is doing the work of purification, that you are his own special people that have an emotional response to him. That's what zealous is. You are excitedly, emotionally connected to God, wanting to live your life close to him. The grace of God teaches us how to walk. And it starts with what we say yes to and what we say no to. You know, walking one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, forward progress. How? By faith. Trusting that when God says something is wrong, we trust him. We trust him that, you know, it's so wrong that I don't want it to be a part of it. I don't want it to be a part of my life. Some of you know by your own personal testimony that when something's wrong, it's just wrong. It brings great damage. It brings great consequences, sometimes very lasting damage. It takes away joy. Sin is so destructive. And the thing is, is that the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us that are immune to this. 
And so it's by faith that we trust God even in the difficulties. We trust God that if he says something's wrong, stay away from him. If he says something's right, embrace it. So come back now in verse 11 as we wind down here because pleasing God is tied with faith in two ways. And that's in verse 6. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. So Enoch, he's living life, walking with God, trusting God, relying upon God, living in God, or what Jesus would say, abide in me and I in you. Let my word abide in you, walking out what my word is living through you. So with faith, it's, without faith, it's impossible to please him because he who comes to God, number one, must believe that he is, and number two, that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Really what, what he's saying is, look, Faith is believing God is who he says he is and that there's great benefit and blessing coming to him. That there is great benefit and blessing coming to him and living life according to his principles, according to his way, the way he designed us. I think believing God is actually a little easier than believing he rewards those that come to him. That believing that there's actually a blessed path following God. I think most people, if you talk to them, would say they believe in God. Most people would probably even say they believe in the God of the Bible. But many of those people have never surrendered their life to the God of the Bible. So they have this intellectual understanding of God as it's been explained, but they haven't come to him to surrender their life. They haven't come to him for the blessed benefit of obedience. And because so many don't believe that God rewards those who seek him, we don't choose to seek him first. We seek him second or third or fourth or if after everything's done, then we seek the Lord. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all of his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. There's an addition in our lives when we seek the Lord. But here's what happens. We're overwhelmed with doubts and fears. We're overwhelmed with painful circumstances and difficulties we're overwhelmed with a, with a divided marriage and wayward kids. We're overwhelmed with drama and difficulty. So we just don't seek God anymore. We have it backwards. We think, well, look at my life. There doesn't seem to be any benefit and any rewards. So if there isn't any benefit or blessing and reward, then why seek God anyway? And it begins the downward spiral like those in Hebrews were faced and tempted with away from God. Remember the Bible says we're not like those who turn away to destruction. That's not the pattern of our lives. That's not what a walk with God looks like. A walk with God is pressing in, in endurance. It's trusting in the hope. You know, the missing piece I find so often is actually this part in Titus where grace teaches us to look for the soon return of Jesus Christ. And I believe that's just missing in the church today. And you might even talk about, man, what are you so excited about? I'm excited because Jesus promised to return, and I can't wait to meet him face to face. And then what do people go, oh, you don't believe in that nonsense, do you? You know, especially around the holidays, right? People generally, and I, I, I do mean that word, generally enjoy Christmas and generally don't have a problem with baby Jesus, that a baby was born some, somewhere at some time, maybe was sent from God in the Bible. They don't have a general problem with that. But you begin to talk to them about Jesus Christ coming back to rule and reign for a thousand years to make every wrong right and to execute real true justice, that's not celebrated. Like you don't believe in that, do you? And it's that question that undermines, well, maybe I'm not to look for the soon return of Jesus Christ anymore. 
Let me just say, there is nothing in your life that will not be solved. There is nothing in your life that won't be taken care of when Jesus Christ returns. He will solve it all. And let me just say this. When you're looking to build a bridge with people with the gospel, like don't be believers are always looking for a fight, always want to make a point, always want to put your foot down. Instead, looking for places where you can build bridges with people so that they trust you and you earn their trust to share with them the love of God, not just in action, but in, in word. As you're looking to build a bridge, I want, I want to remind you of something that most of all of us share in common, believer and unbeliever alike, and that's a sense of injustice. Most people have experienced deep pain by being wronged by someone else, by being hurt by someone else, by being taken advantage of, by being manipulated or misused. You know, the, the family drama that most families endure in one way or another, many times the root of it is pain and it's being offended and truly being sinned against and hurt. And you know what that does in a person? It rises up, even just so small, but it rises up a sense of wanting things to be made right. I want things to be made right. We call that justice. The problem is, is that our human definition of justice is rarely God's definition of justice. Because in our minds, when we have been hurt and we carry this hurt around, in our minds, justice seems to sound like this. I'm hurting, so I want the other person to hurt just a little bit more. That's why the Bible teaches us very early on, it's eye for eye, not two eyes for one eye. So you have some damage in your life. You want, well, I want to take all of their side away. But then what does that do? That, that takes the scales and tips them the other way. And now you've got another hurting person wanting to hurt back and it never ends. But I'm telling you this, true justice will arrive at the coming of Jesus Christ. Justice will be yours and mine in him. That's why very, very clearly the Bible says, vengeance is mine saith the Lord. You go ahead, well, how do I live a life where I believe God that vengeance is his? Because I don't see it and I don't feel it. We live it by faith. We trust God will sort it out. And that's often the missing part of our relationship with God in our church and every church. Everything is ingrained to get us looking down, looking down, looking down. This is it. This is all there is. Next paycheck, next bill, next house, next car, next, 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 before boom, it's over. But while we're living in the world, living a life in the world, God is saying, I want you to look for, it will change the way you live your life as you look for and hasten the coming of the Lord. Enoch reminds us that he lived a life that walked with God, looking for God. He sought him and he was rewarded by him. And that's his testimony. That's what we know. Heaven is ahead of us. And the only way that I'll be a benefit to you, the only way I'll benefit you in our relationship, our friendship as a pastor, as a friend, as a brother, is that I will live in the abiding reality of God in my life. That I'll trust him so that I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And then what? I love my neighbor. I'm able to extend the love of God that I've experienced. I'm able to extend it to you and share it with you. One day we'll be walking with God and then we're not. That's known in the Bible as the doctrine of the rapture of the church. What a great doctrine. That there is a generation that will not face natural death. 
that they will be in the twinkling of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians, be caught up to be forever together with the Lord in the air. That God, he will come, he will send Jesus Christ, and he will come for his church. There will be a distinction. Those that are walking with him, those that are not. And those that are walking with him will be caught up together to be in his presence forever. But if we're not the generation that sees the rapture, we will see God soon enough through natural death. And we will face him and give account for our lives. And we will enjoy his presence. And the unbelieving world, they don't understand. When we seek him, we believe that he's there and we believe that he blesses and rewards the life that is called to walk with him. You know, I'm amazed because sometimes we're ashamed to call God our, our father. We're ashamed of our relationship with God. But the good news is this, God is never ashamed of you. He's never ashamed of you and me. I'm so encouraged by it. One more thing before we go, because you can't miss this with Enoch. We don't have time to develop this, but I want to give you a little insight on the doctrine of the rapture. Now, the rapture of the church is different than the second coming of the Lord to rule and reign. The rapture of the church happens, I believe, biblically, before the last seven years of human history that is known in the Bible as Jacob's trouble or more commonly as the great tribulation period. I believe the rapture happens before the great tribulation period where Jesus Christ returns for his church. They're caught up together with him in the air to forever be with him. And then about seven years later, at the end of the great tribulation period, revealed for us primarily in the book of Revelation, see, first he comes in the rapture for his saints. At the end of the great tribulation, Jesus returns with his saints. So we're already with him. Now, if you want to study this, I went in far more in depth. You can just go to our app up in the search bar. Just put the word rapture, R-A-P-T-U-R-E. And I've laid it out in much more detail than I'll go here today because I just want to focus on Enoch because Enoch is a picture and a type of the rapture. You go, Ed, well, how? Well, it's so cool because it says that Enoch was translated so they didn't see death. He did not experience natural death, but instead was caught up immediately to be with the Lord forever. So there is a group, a generation that will be alive at the time of the rapture. It will be caught up, and Enoch is a picture of that. He experienced a taste of this. So did Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2. So did John the Beloved in Revelation chapter 4. Remember, he was caught up in the Spirit, and he got this major revelation. Noah now... When we think of someone that, well, wait a minute, Ed. I think that the church should have to go through the judgment like everyone else. Well, that's possible, but I'll tell you this. Noah was saved from judgment. So the judgment of God came through the flood, and where was Noah? In the ark, floating above the judgment. He was floating on the waters of judgment. The ark becomes a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. Those that are in Christ, saved from judgment. Why? Because Jesus Christ on the cross took the full weight and wrath of God on our behalf upon himself. Because of Jesus, God will save his people from the judgment to come. And we trust you're numbered among them. Jesus died and rose again to make the salvation possible. If you've yet to do so, surrender your life to him now. This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is taking his time here in Hebrews chapter 11 due to his rich contents. 
Abounding Grace is easy to hear again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Just search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Depression. If you've not experienced it yourself, I'm sure you know of someone who has. And yes, even Christians struggle with depression. We want to share an excellent book on the subject called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness, written by Edward T. Welch. We'll gladly send you a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can now order resources like this online at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Please also remember it is your financial support that helps us do what we do here at Abounding Grace on this station and many others like it. You can make a secure donation online at aboundinggraceradio.com. Have you been blessed by this ministry? If so, we want to hear about it. And it's easy to share your thoughts and prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. We'll return to Hebrews next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.